am the only unbought and unbossed politician. Why should I step back? This is Unbought Power Hour with Asha Mubarak. Where are you? Why is it just Can you see me? It's just white. Oh, well, my bad, my bad. There we go. Did you hear the song I was playing? That's dope. I didn't know you could do that. That's that's great. No, it's it's not for my phone. It was my computer. I know, but that's uh, still dope. Still dope. That's nice. Thank you for pulling that together. Good morning. So, so I like um, Good morning. How you doing? What's good? Not much, not much. How are you doing? How's how's everything going? It's been a crazy week for me, but uh, oh my you know, it's God. been a little, a a little bit better of a weekend, you know. What a week! What a world! Yeah, yeah, it was definitely uh, it was definitely a wild, wild week. So, um, but you're good. Your family's good. How's how the uh, vegetables and everything like that? <laughs> everything is good. I have to take you out in the garden one day virtually. You know. No, it's pretty amazing. It's good. I've. Uh, I've been taking up fishing as a, a like a, a way to de-stress these days, and um, it's causing me a little bit more stress because I can't get it right. You know what I mean? So, but I'm the It's still fun. Fishing is relaxing for a boat because I feel like I can never catch a fish. Just like the well, I, growing. I guess the whole point. I guess really the point is is that you shouldn't be. You really shouldn't worry about catching fish. You know, um, because if you're thinking about catching fish the whole time, more than likely you're not going to be catching fish, and so uh, that and so like you a could life be. Lesson, though. Like, you know, no, straight up, it is like straight up. I had to go this morning. Like this morning was like the conclusion of like a few weeks of me getting this lesson in place. You know what I mean? I of think, like, because the picture not I the, of you in the little unbought power hour was yeah. like you catching a fish, but I cut off. The yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny, you know, and I think it's a it's a good lesson. You you plan and you work, and you you put it in, and no matter what you do, like the outcome isn't necessarily like up to you. Like last night, I straight up like did some research, had everything ready, and uh, like prepared for like two hours last night, like preparing certain things for my fishing trip this morning. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I thought you were talking about now. I was like, wait. No, 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 no. For my fishing trip this morning, so I woke up, you know, and right after, you know, like. Like six forty-five, I was out the door, wow. got to the river, and it was the worst fishing day of my life. <laughs> it was absolutely the worst amateur hour, like humiliation. But I was oh, laughing the whole time, planned, and I was like, "Yeah, we plan, yeah, we plan, and that's it." You know what I mean? So that, so that was it. So um, anyway, so I, I'm back now. I'm What's excited, that? I'm excited to introduce you to my people. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. Let's this, do it. This is our boss. Like, uh, like we got all these. Hi, Nada. Hi, Lisa. Lisa's all the way in the band, sending us love. Um, no way, Lisa's on right now. I don't know if she jumped up, but she was like sending. Oh wait, wait, Gad, Gad is on. That's nice. Yeah, and Janan's here. So. Uh oh. Uh oh, Janan is here too. You didn't text Rada. Of course I didn't text her. I told you I was going to be nervous and running around. <laughs> so, um, this is our best. Um, I actually like to always say, like, give, give the story of, like, how we first, like, how I first met, like, my guest that's on. And, like, yeah, yeah. but anyways, you are a super duper academic, like, baby genius that, like, 
you know, we always say like, we balance each other out in this work because like, you're like a real brain in this advocacy and like with, you know, you've taught, but you're also, you do research and you're doing it in a very hardcore way when it comes to civil rights. And I know that you like moved mountains and you're a little humble bumblebee, Michelle, right? Cause it's not necessarily no, like no, you're all on the forefront or the face, but like you literally are on the forefront in this work. And of course you own a big coffee shop. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. 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 So like, yeah. Well, thank you for introducing me. That's a very, very, uh, uh, it's a very nice introduction. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> I've had great, I've great, I've had great colleagues and uh, great friends to work with, you know, through all of this. And basically, um, the career path has been a product of like not fitting in, you know what I mean? Wherever I go in academia, in academia, you know, you, you always want to make sure that your your work is impacting somehow, some way. And uh, very early on, as a professor, even as a grad student, I realized that that wasn't really ever going to be the case. And so I had to start leaning and taking my work towards more applied ways. And then uh, even in advocacy, sometimes I'm on the outs because I'm like always Mr. Naysayer or contrarian <laughs> because I'm thinking of something different. You know what I mean? Sometimes, you know? So, no, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. And so let me, let me get a, take a second to... Um, introduce you to my audience or whoever the, the Ibrik folks are on the line right now. And that is, uh, this is my, my dear friend and sister, Rashi Mubarak, my comrade in arms on the, on the scene, stumping around the country, working on really, really, um, I'd say like cutting edge, bleeding edge, you know, progressive politics, you know, the grassroots work. A lot of folks don't realize the kind of around the clock dedication that it actually takes sit through the seasons of the storms of the politics and the policies and to, you know, to understand what that hard work really looks like. And I have great admiration for you and for so many others that are out there working one-on-one -on -one with people, one-on-one -on -one with communities, um, doing the hard political work. And so I've learned a lot from you and I'm grateful to be, uh, you know, to be in Congo with you today, but just to be working with you overall these last couple of years, it's been a pleasure. So. Aw, thank you. I appreciate so. that. Um, so I honestly like so, I've been a go-to person for me, so like just know that. How did oh, let's tell folks how we first met? Because <laughs> we only met once actually, and it was game over after that, right? I think it was in DC, and I have we really is that like really the only time we've met in person? I feel like it because it was just maybe. Yeah. Oh, you know why? Because like I had left my care career, and you were like joining this care. Yeah. So I I was leaving, I was like, I like crashed a meeting at a restaurant that you had with other Muslims. <laughs> and then I was like, and then I like left to back to the airport. But I remember like, you were trying to order a complicated tea order. <laughs> really? <laughs> you remember they had like a whole menu of different teas. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was uh, so we were meeting at that time. It was winter, I think, 2018. And it was just on the, you know, just after the midterm elections. And so now people are gearing up and thinking, OK, let's get ready. 2020 is going to be around the corner. we got to get it together. So we developed a sort of small working coalition of organizations and individuals, really, that were involved in national sort of grassroots organizing. And that's kind of a contradiction in terms sometimes, right? Because the national organizations are not actually local. They're not usually doing like the super local grassroots stuff, but we tend to have like the largest megaphone. And 
and uh, being close to the action in DC, but you know, we're just kind of right there. So it, it was sort of a, an interesting play where we had to figure out how are we going to navigate this space over the next couple of years? Because we're all going to be, you know, if we don't align ourselves one way or the other, we're going to be bumping into each other a lot in the field or, you know, on the hill or in different spaces. And what so Alhamdulillah, that was the beginning. Did that meetup in 2016 in Atlanta with other Muslim, like, advocacy organizations and leaders? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. I wasn't there, but you I remember there, when that happened. Like, it was a whole no, I definitely wasn't involved in advocacy work at that time, you know. But I'm glad you're in now. And I yeah, electoral politics, electoral politics and campaigning really, they're not typically my thing, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's real. I think it's something that we all understand is one element in our work for freedom and liberation for all people. But our relationship is gets, gets more like a little deeper and more interesting because then I'm in, in Atlanta for, um, I was oh, yeah. at the DSA conference. And what is the DSA? Tell everybody what the DSA is. We don't know these things. Democrats, Socialists of America. That's oh, great. Socialists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was speaking um, over the weekend and at this huge conference. And like, for me, it's just like, I always like to find like good coffee shops. And then I met um, my uh, my friend now and a sister, her name is um, Hanem. She's from Detroit. And she's like, yo, I, I found this dope coffee shop. I was like, let's go, you know? And then like, it was like, I was like, it's called Ibrik. Like, do you know, like that's the freaking gotta be word for like, you know, all of that. So I was just like, like, I'm like, we gotta go, we gotta go. So we go. And I walk in and it's just like, yo, this is so dope. Like I've been to so many coffee shops in my travel time, right? And I was like, it was just social justice, like advocacy, like grassroots, like you were uplifting voices. You had the Black Lives Matter before, like it was digestible in today's society. Like I was just like mind blown. And then they're like telling me, they're like, you gotta meet the owner. The owner's really cool. And then like, I just, you know, we ended up going there every day when we had our breaks to the point where we went right before, like I took an Uber from there to the airport. Like, and you know, your coffee was good. Just the atmosphere was amazing. The team there and just like, obviously like everything like Ibrik stands for, which is what we're doing now. So, and then no, I posted on Facebook like, yo, I just went to the dopest coffee shop. And you're like, hey, that's, that's my coffee shop. Like, okay, <laughs> this makes sense, yeah. Yeah, that that look, the coffee shop was a blessing. Unfortunately, we shut, had to shut down the main location because of COVID. Uh, but it was a real blessing, and it still is. Like we're online, we're live, and we're doing events like this and other you know conversations, and we're trying to craft the product to really represent the culture in coffee. Uh, it's uh, a little known you know fact that the most successful online coffee business, you know, the most successful retailer is a hardcore QAnon Trump supporting conspiracy theorist organization called, I don't even want to mention the coffee company, right? But all they do, all they do is clown us all day. Like their Instagram, all it does is make, it says liberalism is a disease, you know, you know, and like all they, it's, and they're, they're like really big on, on the second amendment. So, so there's not even pictures of coffee on their thing. All it is, is guns. And and like super right wing stuff, and they are the most successful coffee company 
in the country as an online brand, okay? And so what I realized is that it's sort of symbolic of a lot of what we deal with in our politics and our, in our spaces is that, is that those folks are, are straight up ready. Like they're ready for war and they're speaking a very militant, aggressive language. And we barely have our cultural spaces and our, you know, our spaces that are wedded into business, multiple, multiple layers of society. You know, we've got our politics here, we've got our culture here, but we really have to bring it all together. And so what we, so at the coffee shop, what we're trying to do is always make sure that like, you know, you come here to get the best cup of coffee you can, but you also come here because, you know, this is what you stand for. And these are the people that, the people that you want to be around are going to be here. Actually, in the back right here, I've got a picture from the coffee shop. And that's a, it's a picture that says, uh, it's the same picture we have in a number of our locations. And it's got a picture of a, of a person who looks like he's asking for change, you know, for, you know, begging, panhandling. And so he says, he says, keep your coins. I want change. Right. And so that's just kind of what, you know, we've been about. So alhamdulillah, you know, I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that, you know, we, we've been able to do that. I'm sure we'll be back downtown at some point in the future, but right now we're just trying to keep, you know, keep hope alive and keep the brand alive, you know, online brand and stay in people's lives. Because you trying. created a space, like, I think what sets you apart, you know, from this social distance world is that you've already created that space through the culture of Hibrik. So transitioning into where you are now, or even virtually, is something folks are already looking forward to because it's already been established, like, these, these are family, this is, you create a space for people to speak their truth um, on a lot of injustices and in, inequities that they're trying to on like that they're trying to expose but also dismantle right so you now when i see if they're going doing their thing online um it's there it's real and i think that it's not going anywhere but inshallah inshallah no. so let's break it down i know we got folks on the line and people are going to watch this later inshallah so you know one of the reasons i wanted to talk to you today and i'm thinking we could just treat this as like a, a double interview or something <laughs> One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is that a lot of people might not know this for those of you that are, you know, queuing in from my side or from the Abrik side, is that, uh, uh, Russia, you work a lot with progressive politics, right? And so, and so you, you really do have your, your pulse on kind of what's going on with some of our senior figures in Congress, you know, that represent progressive politics. I don't know, can you share who you work for or anything yeah, like yeah. that? consulting firm which is on bot power and you all are watching on bot power hour so on bot power is really um it's an llc but we do work in political consulting and we also do it but for grassroots organizing advocacy campaign issues and so one of my clients is our congresswoman rashida Tlaib, and i'm her finance director so we won our primary um she's literally everything that we need in Congress, in this country, and in this world, right? Because she's all about representing the 13th district of the of Michigan, but also representing the disenfranchised communities in this country, within these borders and outside these borders. And it's about not leaving one person, one community, one group behind, because one person behind is far too many. So having to work with for someone like that is just once she makes it super easy to like not like you know working in this in this realm of politics is like 
they they will ask you to forfeit your forfeit like your beliefs and your values just to like for one win you know and yeah, like, yeah. Well, we want to center these people so can you just stop being a little palestinian today and like so working with the rashida if you're a black brown a person of color like whatever identity you have is she makes sure that she's representing um everybody so i always call her the people's congresswoman i guess that's everyone else calls it that too but it makes sense so it's it's it, it's so humbling working for her like no that's amazing he was amazing and she's also you know a friend and a sister to so many people and it, and one thing about i would say about rashida is if it's a small ask abbas doesn't matter what it is she will do whatever it takes to make sure that she's doing it for that person it, it, but there's no cameras there's no social media it is it, it is the hard work grind that she's always been and she's a person that i think for me on power you know that pays tribute to the shirley chisholms of of our history right it's recommitting to these icons and these legends that paved the way for us black women brown women um and but really she also make sure that she takes, she injects the movement into the halls of Congress, which is very rare, which brings us to the squad, right? So like mm. AFC. Yeah, but no, but it's, no, but it's really amazing. Sorry to cut you off. Like, um, you know, for two years, she's been nothing but like under crazy heat, right? It's just been crazy heat, crazy pressure, um, you know, attacked on all sides. She's become a kind of symbol along with the so-called squad. Mm -hmm. And as somebody who is literally her, you know, campaign finance director, right? How is it, can I just ask you, like, remind people, she just won two weeks ago. I know the news cycles are so fast, it's hard to keep up. But what was that battle like? What was she up against? And how significant of a win was that? I mean, imagine, like, people people pouring money into her opponent's campaign just because of the fact that, you know, Congresswoman Rashida has been unapologetic about her stances, right? So you, we've seen dark money. We've seen all this money tried to be poured into this opponent's campaign just to dismantle Rashida's campaign, right? And we've seen it also with Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. And I think is that, well, not only did they win, but they won hard, right? Like, the yeah. margins are like off the charts like people said that they were like vulnerable and because of how much opposition how much effort and energy was put into their opponents uh campaigns like people didn't people just wanted that had so much hate for these two women the communities that they represented their values and their fights right it's they wanted to make sure that they did everything and people are like wow imagine all the you know that PAC money that was used in the opposition that could have been used for to help all these communities that need help, right? Like when you think about all of that, right? And something that, you know, with working with Congresswoman Rashida is that she doesn't take any of that money clearly, right? And it's, a, it's literally grassroots led, it's people led. I mean, she has an average contribution of $25. Like that's huge, right? Like, that that shows that this is about the people that it's about um representing so many inequities that people are fighting up against and making sure that she represents them in congress so it was hard it was not easy and i think that one of the messages i would say and pass the mic back to you but is um one time you know because 
it does it, it gets draining this work is not easy this is something that we knew is but she you know we were talking about it and it was just like god forbid like last mahala like she lost like when we were thinking about it, it's like what kind of message would that send to the truth seekers the justice warriors the people that are on the right side of justice that like you become unseated you become silenced that you know as soon as you speak truth to power um people will come after you so for me and just thinking about the young people across this country like i was just like we're we're not first of all we're not gonna lose but like it really puts into perspective like um that there is so much power in the people right and that there is so much power in pain that we all so many of us have experienced so i think you know, so someone like Rashida is, is definitely, it's definitely easy to work for, with, and for, but also, um, I don't have to worry about compromising any of my values, right? No, that's really, uh, that, that's really amazing. And this, just this very fact that, that our votes can beat that money, which really just upends everybody's belief system was about cynicism towards our our political system right now and everybody has the absolute right to be cynical i know i've been cynical for years and years and years and back you know 15 years ago 20 years ago i used to joke around about you know sort of not voting and why it didn't matter and we should you know sit things out but it's been these last two years really three four years that i've realized that look i mean it's absurd it's absurd not to be engaged and involved um and and i want to ask you what are the challenges as an organizer to get people out to vote, to actually get them to vote? And, uh, you know, I'm going to say something here, and and it's meant to be a little provocative, but, you know, people came through for Russia, you know, uh, Rashida Tlaib in, in 2018. They stopped the ground just now. It was great. But uh, something went wrong with the Bernie campaign in, in Michigan, right? And that was a major – I was sitting in a cafe – in a cafe with a bunch of political organizers in DC, Super Tuesday. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I think I, I think I like uh, Facetimed you all that night. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We were on Facetime. Yeah. <laughs> and that was heated because we are all you know, like we are all blaming each other, and we are about <laughs> to come. We're about to come after each other, and there, you know, there are some people there that are extremely involved in Michigan politics, and we came through, we, and we were coming at each other. But the point is, is that at a certain point this is a sort of fear is a movement, right? Is that, is that unless we've got some kind of celebrity hype, like unless Beyonce is taking people to the polls, like we're not going to get people out there. You know what I'm saying? Like I need somebody, like I need some celebrity status movement to, to get this thing to go. Like we needed Clinton playing, you know, the saxophone and we need Obama, you know what I mean? And, and so what is it that, what is it that's the, the real critical, you know, push to get, to get people out to the polls? What I would say is like someone that lives in the great state of Florida. Um, yeah, definitely, but I would say, I would layer it with the fact that voter suppression is real. Okay, we've seen it. Um, we see it here all the time. We just saw, um, was it last week was our primary in Florida? Um, South Florida had a huge voter suppression where people were being turned away. People were told that this isn't their polling site. So one, voter suppression is real. Um, and then two, it's people feel disenchanted because what I, what I see is people like consistency, right? It's not about necessarily like 
celebrity, it's about consistency and speaking their truth, right? So when when candidates begin to, what they say, flip-flop or like, so something that I say, I'm very critical of the Gillum campaign in 2018 of governor's race. He won the primary. We are all part of that because it was phenomenal because it was literally people led. It was unapologetic, Medicare for all. And then like starts going in from the primary to the general, the language became watered down, you know, and, and people, people see that. People like to think voters are incompetent for whatever reason, but voters are listening, they're paying attention, and they're not one issue people. And I think that even if it's something that not an issue that they're passionate about, but they see the inconsistency there and there's discrepancies, it's going to turn people off. So when you, like in the state of Florida, it's hot, it's rainy, the lines are long, the voter suppression is there. So to get people out to the polls, it takes a lot. But as, so as soon as you disrupt whatever um, language that you had that turns them off, it, they're going to be like, okay, I'm not going to go out and vote. Like, you know what I'm saying? So for me, I can see why people feel turned off by this process, right? When they feel that it's not representing them and a lot of the issues that they stand for. So I would say, I don't, with the Michigan and Bernie, um, you know, I, I don't know really what happened there, but I would say that there was a lot of disparaging of Senator Bernie Sanders, right? And Senator Bernie Sanders is also a humble bumblebee, right? But like, there's a lot of disparaging and like, in that right that he's angry or he's you know saying a lot of negativity around him but also there was inconsistency with senator bernie sanders sometimes you know and people wanted mm. him to say you know <laughs> the politics po politicians are racist like he sometimes couldn't say those words right so that are important mm. like something some place like detroit you know so it's a third course district in in the nation where R Rashida represents at least the 13th district so I think being very bold and, and clear one thing I will say is y'all so I'm born in Brooklyn I don't claim my New York part. I'm from Florida but I have like this Brooklyn like blood but then like wow I, I didn't know that you're born in Brooklyn that's yeah. enough yeah I rode the I rode the subway in Brooklyn like twice and I claim <laughs> New York I mean I've been here since I was five so I don't really claim it but like I, I say I have some Brooklyn blood, but I also want to like start claiming some Detroit because I feel like yeah. this high core. And I was just like this Florida sunshine, like, hey y'all, what's up? You know, and they're mm -hmm. like, all right, girl. And I'm just like, okay. So like when when Rashida said the mother effort, like, let me just say that it's just like how they talk. I'd be right. But like so anyways, I was watching the Michael Jordan series, right? Yo, <laughs> the Detroit Pistons, like I was like I wish I watched this before, like, I worked for this campaign. Because, like, I was like, this is so Detroit. Like, so when I tell you, like, people are very real. People want you to be direct, straightforward. So, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So I think that's a part. Like, you know, it depends on... Yeah, and it's it's yeah. hard. And it's hard and it's hard politics. And then you're also going against the grain. You know, the, the progressive movement is going against the grain. It's like, you know, there's no reason to even try to front about it. Like you know, it is adversarial to establishment politics, period. You know what I mean? And so there, there is a disruption there. We're out here to try to kind of, you know, rock the boat. You cannot fit 
sort of, you know, the, the, the movements that are on the ground and these social ju justice movements, you cannot fit them into normal uh, political categories. And so I guess people have to be patient about what that looks like. You know, um, one of my challenges is trying to think about how to switch this narrative over, over sort of cynicism uh, to try to overcome that cynicism. And I want to share with you something, if you don't mind, about, um, you know, it was years ago. I want to say something like, you know, in my college days, where I, I swear I read this quote by Brother Malcolm X, Al-Hajj Malik Shabazz, but I, I just can't find the quote again, okay? Like, I've been trying to find it. I can't find the quote. But he said, basically, he said, it's not that people are apathetic why they don't come out to vote. They're skeptical. Mm -hmm. And they're cynical, right? And they have every right to be. But his his position on that wasn't that you shouldn't vote, right? right? His, his position was you just have to address that cynicism and that skepticism if you're interested in serving people. And if you're interested in any kind of community empowerment, you have to address that directly. And that thing has been staying in the back of my head for 20 years, okay? Then last fall... I get to visit, uh, I guess, last fall. You know, I still I feel like everything just paused in March. You know what I mean? So I still feel like it's spring right now, and yeah, it's yeah. about to be fall again. <laughs> so I guess last year, last year, subhanAllah, last year I was in uh, I was in New York on the sidelines of the UN General Assembly, attending some meetings and whatnot. Wow. And I took a day. Yeah, that's how we do, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I went to a meeting. It was the scariest meeting in the world, okay? It was like, like, you know, yeah, it was, it was, it was crazy. Sheryl Sandberg, you know what I'm saying? Dorsey, Modi, Boris Johnson, do you know what I mean? Like, everybody was there. And I was, I just, you know, it wasn't my place. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> supposed to be in that room. <laughs> so anyway, um, but anyway, uh, so I took a day off to go visit Sister Aisha and Adawiya up at the Schomburg Center. For folks who don't know, Sister Aisha Ladawiya is a, uh, a curator of uh, black history and uh, is, oversees some of the archival work at the Schomburg Center, which is a division of the New York Public Library that focuses on black cultural intellectual history. So amazing sort of manuscripts and the cultural center and whatnot. So I went to go, you know, uh, send my salams to her and Imam, Imam Talib up in uh, Harlem for the afternoon. And so I'm hanging out in her office, and I said, uh, Sister Aisha, what's up with that Malcolm X manuscript that's upstairs, right? So for folks who don't know, there's an unpublished chapter of Malcolm X's autobiography, okay? Mm -hmm. So the autobiography, as folks, folks who should know, it's an autobiography as told by Alex Haley. So Alex Haley was kind of the ghostwriter. So he would sit with Brother Malcolm for hours and hours on end, and then they would draft a chapter together, Malcolm would get it, he'd edit it, send it back to Alex, whatever. And so this is what the project looked like. And, and there's a kind of narrative arc then that's established in the, in the autobiography that's really Alex Haley's narrative arc. And it's kind of like, you know, rather, you know it's kind of like a hero's journey type of, you know, uh, you know, narrative. However, there's one chapter that folks have been knowing about for a very long time. Chapter, I believe it was supposed to be chapter nine or seven. Uh, Brother Zahir would know a whole lot about this, and Brother Shan and Sister May would know a lot about this because they work directly on that. So shout out to them. I've learned a lot from them. Um, but there is a, a, a chapter that never made it into the final publication. And that chapter finally came to light just last year and was made available to the public for, you know, for viewing. 
So it just so happened that when I was there, there was a window that was open because you have to set up an appointment to go like, you have to set up an appointment, you have to have research credentials, all this kind of stuff to actually get the, get the manuscript. So it just so happened that there was a window open and I was able to see the manuscript and they sit me down in a cubicle right in front of the librarians. They take your bag. You can't have your phone. Nope. You know, they give you a, they give you basically the equivalent of like post-it notes and then old little pencils without an eraser. You know what I mean? Like the ones that find an Ikea and they're like, you can take some notes if you want to. Okay. So I'm sitting here with this chapter. Like why wouldn't they publish it for uh, this just uh, there's a certain kind of protocol when it comes to archival work, um, um, because one you know somebody could go take pictures of the entire manuscript, print it out, publish it as a book. You know what I mean? There, some like it be published as Malcolm X's. Uh, I'm sure that they'll get around to it, but that's sort of where you get into licensing and copyrights and all kinds of stuff like that. And so there, there's just a certain you know, permissions you have to get in order for that publication. But you could copy whatever you wanted to. So if you wanted to go down there and copy the entire thing, you could. Anyway, there was, okay, I'm, I'm taking a long time to get to the story, but I just, think, you know. <laughs> this is your time. So, so point is, is that there are about three versions of this, of this chapter. And one of the things that Malcolm is addressing is a criticism to reporters, you know, where they're saying, how are you going to boycott, like, how are you going to boycott the military? Or hold on, what was he saying? He, oh, he was trying to create a division. The reporter was trying to create a division between Malcolm and the civil rights movement. Okay. At that time, black radical politics, more militant leaning politics as represented by Malcolm were, were perceived by the establishment and represented by the establishment as being anti, anti-engagement and, you know, sort of so revolutionary process and right yeah yeah and so and that was the represent and malcolm kept saying he, he kept saying we support the civil rights movement we just don't think it's enough he's like how we're we're, we're here boycotting the military yeah he said well, how we're boycotting the military and the war of course we're going to boycott this bus you know we're going to support this bus boycott and what he was saying was basically yes yes we think the system is messed up but we're going to exert this tool of power Right. in the vote and we're going to vote with a block and we're going to make the system respond to us because we are going to we're going to vote people in and out you know what i mean so what's that because they want us not to vote so I they want you not to vote right? just to like undermine his just like how he shows up in this work how he has shown up in this work is that is undermining of course he understands how that works is because then if we don't vote, then we're giving them what they want. That's what the, yeah, that's so what, he was, that's what that's the supremacists what, want. They want you to, and I'm telling you that the, that the far right in this country, they vote in everything from my homeowners association, like director <laughs> of, like, my homeowners association. <laughs> no, like, 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 Straight up, like the like the like the there's politics around like who controls the pool and the tennis courts this year. Do you know what I mean? Like people lobby and campaign for that. From that to the park to the community gardens. You know what I mean? Like all of that. People are involved up here because they they well they they feel ownership over it, and that's the thing is that when you don't feel ownership over a community, right? And you can build a highway in the middle of your neighborhood. You know what I mean? And in 10 years, your entire, you know, your entire community is rocked. Yeah. 
where you bring in a corporation that dumps, you know, that dumps pollutants in your backyard, you know, and you're subject to environmental racism. Yeah, you don't feel like it's your, you know, you don't feel like it's your neighborhood. So you are going to be skeptical. But subhanAllah, that letter or the manuscript that I read was really important because it really brought home this sort of non-duality in in kind of radical politics, right. right? And it was really, really important. And then what was crazy is that in the first version of the draft of the chapter, he was saying, the media and the mainstream tries to represent me like this, right? And he kept criticizing. So he was using that point, but also to create critique representation. But then subhanAllah, by the last chapter that was supposed, by the last version of the chapter that was supposed to be in the book, but never made it, they totally sort of, they totally took all the radicalness out of him. And they did exactly as he predicted in the first draft, subhanAllah. Like he predicted it in his own draft, you know? Because and so- uh, They want to tell us the stories of Malcolm X and Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King and tell us how, they, and try to make it seem like it was, there was two different roads to, to civil rights, right? When the reality is that's not how it was. It was every component was, is important still to this day, right? So when we're talking about protesting in the streets, we're talking about legislation, like electoral politics, talking about media, all of that is important, like grassroots organizing, advocacy. It's not just one aspect of it. People are in the streets, but people are also behind the scenes. So I, I think that, yeah, do I feel disenchanted as a voter? Absolutely. Will I still vote? Yes. Right? And because Maybe that should be our, yeah. we want to talk about the squad is look at the squad is getting larger. There's going to be more coming. Yeah. Let's talk about Cori Bush. Cori yeah, yeah. Bush, like, that's huge. Jamad Bowman, huge. But Cori yeah, Bush Bowman's is big. a person that, you know, came from Black Lives Matter, Ferguson, that was, is literally an activist, and she's going to Congress, you know? Like, she's going to be um, unapologetic because she has been. Three days before her election day, they were trying to uh, come at her for her um solidarity with the palestinian movement they literally yep. distributed flyers with her face and linda sarsu's face yeah, yeah it ain't gonna work no more it's just saying it's you know it's something anymore. you know it's, not, it's it's amazing that you know can you imagine back in you know 15 years ago they used to the the, the bush's second election right the second term of the bush presidency they put out that obsession video all over the country oh, scaring people with muslims and islam but alhamdulillah, people are over it. That stuff ain't going to work no more. That, so, you know, that stuff's not going to work anymore. Cori Bush is that she didn't try to not speak to that issue. She didn't condemn it. She doubled, she, there, she made sure she was doubling down on her stance for Palestinian rights. Like people were like, oh, you know, that's absolutely honest leading up to her election. Like, and that, that's a difference. That's what we need. People want yep. consistency. People want to see you on, stay, on the side of all people, right? So I think with someone like Cori Bush, um, that should be an example. That I, I really want, I hope everybody in Florida politics, at least, <laughs> right, saw that. Because we, we, I live in a state where um, they're proud to be anti-Palestinian. And they're called the yeah, people in Florida and they're not. They'll be like, oh, she's the AOC of Florida. I'm like, no, you're not the AOC of Florida because you can't even say the word Palestinian out of your mouth. And you were, you will vote in legislation where anti-Semitism um, is equated with 
the criticism of Israel and you're proud of that vote, knowing that you, Palestinian young girls were door knocking for you, right? Like this, like you literally marginalized it. For me, um, I just feel like there needs to be more of that. And speaking of Cory Bush, you know, Linda, we saw what happened. Yeah, let's bring it. Yeah, let's talk about it. So for folks who are just waking up this week, what happened? So Linda Sassoon, you know, is part of, she's a DNC delegate. She got voted in by her, like, in the district that she lives in. She was voted to go to the DNC. <laughs> Just like other delegates, she got, like, what, there's two minutes to speak at the DNC, you know? Does, is Linda in love with the Democratic Party? Absolutely not. But she, like, just hold a conversation just like we're having about Malcolm X, right? She's doing her due diligence to, like, disrupt the system, the status quo. So she gives a speech just like every other delegate. And, of course, the right wing um, makes noise about it. And the Biden campaign, instead of protecting someone from their party, right, that hasn't said anything against Biden, like, voting against Biden, you know, if she hasn't, which is like something I think that separates us. But like, you know, I, I haven't said not to vote for him. But like, for me, I'm not going to stop for Biden, right? But like, she is at this DNC. And she says a speech. And they the right wing talk says something about allowing an anti Semite in the Biden campaign, instead of the Biden campaign being like, she's not anti Semitic, this is a person that was delegated to go speak at the party. They smear, they further smear her, right? And it, and it's, it's they they marginalize her. They condemn Linda Sarsoud, and it's absolutely horrific, right? It's like, how do you expect to win this election when someone, an organizer on the ground, <laughs> was willing to do this vote Trump out route, you know, and now you're trying to distance yourself. And then they used her footage of her at the Women's March where she is a co-founder of that movement before it got problematic, right? Um, and it's just absolutely outrageous, right? So this is, and so for me, when I see something like that, one, I'm very protective over our sister and our, our community and all of that. But two, are you really gonna win that way? Like, because guess what? The Muslim vote, the Arab vote, Palestinian vote, people um, that are about human rights for all people, they they see this, they're outraged, right? And so that's what happened this week. So solidarity yeah. with our sister Linda, but also yeah, shout out to the communities that are going through it. Yeah, and then, you know, what happened to Linda this week is not the first, you know, not the first, and it's going to be the last time that people get used and chopped up, you know, in these political systems. Um, I, you know, I'm constantly worried about our sister Linda because she's the subject of so many attacks and so much vitriol on the right. And people got to realize, and this is the work that sort of I do behind the scenes at, at my office of care, which is people don't realize that these lies and these rumors, these things get circulated. These things get circulated. It's not a Twitter feed. Folks, it's not a social media thing, okay? This stuff gets circulated, regurgitated. People obsess over this stuff. So that, that company I was telling you about, the same people that are out there buying coffee, making fun of liberals, and, and literally they have machine guns, you know, you know, buying coffee with machine guns and shoot, you know, they have pictures of gun ranges. They attack people like Linda, okay? And the more and more you do that dehumanizing, 
Yeah. One is to dehumanize, and I then in this, and then actually represent. Sorry, to make them look like an enemy of the state. Mm -hmm. All right, makes them a legitimate target. It is dangerous, folks. These lies are dangerous. You don't you don't agree on our our position on Palestinian human rights? Don't agree, but don't try to front that this is some kind of, you know, this is some kind of conspiracy, and don't buy into these right right wing talking points about. Sharia this and Sharia that and anti-Semitism this and against America that. That's nonsense. You can't represent, you know, anything towards justice for all and people, the People's Party, if you're sitting there sharing the talking points of conspiracy theorists. Right. And it goes deep. Why, why are they feeding into the right wing? You know, and it's, and like you said, I just want to say, um, I worry about Linda, I pray for Linda, and it's, it's hard. I've seen where, she, you know, we have to have she has to have personnel security because she yep. gets death threats. Like I get death threats, but she has it on a whole nother level. And like, I'll be, I'll text them. I'm like, you good. You're good. And she, she's just like, LOL. Like, no, because it's like, she doesn't want other people to worry about her. But in reality, it's even if this, the, this doesn't circulate as hard as it was on Twitter this week, they've already put that out there, like you said, right? And they've already put that dangerous and that rhetoric where um, people are still going to obsess over. Um, and, and she's still a target. She's always been a target, right? I'll let protect her, but that's real. And I think that, the, you know, the Democrats, they need to be held accountable and responsible. So when Michelle Obama... <laughs> is saying on tv like basically throwing shade at like progressives like that doesn't help so it's just like being thrown under the bus on all both sides of the aisle but also um you know it's a huge mistake huge mistake on biden's part but also um protect linda this is just well 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 then how do you uh you, again contrarian on the other side now how do you uh, respond then to people who say that engagement in the political system is just all hype and that, that they're just using you for your votes? They don't actually care about you. And, and, and look, at what, look at what these Bernie crew, like somebody like Linda, is doing. Surrogate for, you know, Bernie. I don't know, official or not, one way or the other. But went out there, went out there, held it down for the progressive movement, came out hard Democrats for Biden. Like Do you know what I mean? And then, but but then but then and then they disavow them. So isn't that just proof that this whole thing is nonsense, and we should just we should just be hyper local, seek outside of the system, and let the whole thing just crash down. Let the corrupt elite just do their thing. That we're never going to see any kind of betterment through through the political system. Look, I agree. Like de the Democrat Party isn't going to change until they continue to see that. But the, the problem is it's at the hands of people's lives, right? So for me, right, so it's doing my part is I'm going to vote because they don't get to take the right away. The Biden campaign doesn't get to take that right away from me. And obviously near, not the right wing white supremacists, right? I get to make that vote because we get to say we, the Muslim community, the Arab community, we all voted. We are a voting block, right? But if we can both we kind of step back then we're allowing them to disenfranchise us as voters and for me that's not where i want to be that's not what side of history i want to be on i'm not going to let anyone push me around i'm not voting um because i feel pressure by the biden campaign 
I'm voting because mm-hmm. I understand that this, I don't even know, I'm not gonna even say like how I'm voting, right? Like that's not even what it is. I, it's, it's about making sure you get to the ballot box and um, submitting your ballot. And, but it's, it's more than that. It's about understanding that we are gonna fight with every bone in our body, regardless who makes it to the White House, right? This isn't something that like stops at the the bowl, at the polling station, right? It's beyond that. It's that the ballot box isn't the make or break of how we show up in this movement. It's just one aspect of it, and you really can't just like any equation. You can't leave one piece of the puzzle out. Um, and honestly, I want to encourage people to vote with their conscience, vote with their heart. Like, I'm never gonna be that person that's gonna say, um, you need to vote for other marginalized communities. And, Cause it's hard because I, I had a dream about Kam- Kamala Harris. Like all I kept doing was like, try and talk to her about Palestine to the point where she cried. I woke up this morning making my big coffee. And I was just like, what? Did I talk to Kamala Harris? I was so confused. And I was like, oh no, that was just my dream. Like I was just telling her off in my dream. Like I, you know, 2016, I kept hearing Hillary's voice at APAC convention when I went to the ballot box. Like, yeah, it's tough. like, you know what I'm saying? But like, you vote, vote. I'm not going to tell people how to vote, but vote because both parties are going to see like the impact that our communities have and that we do have power. But I will tell our community is that we need to move out of this photo op mentality because what our community does have best is this we will give candidates our vote we will give candidates our money but they won't take our voices to dc or for me to tallahassee right because we allow them to we don't we don't want to hold them accountable we love taking pictures with these these elected officials because you got to put the work in it's hard work it's politics is hard work yo you (laughs) but you need to hold them accountable because what they're used to what they'll say is well i don't see your 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 community in our office they get emails from zionist organizations all day every day right so like we have to hold them accountable this isn't just like so you will make them earn your vote what i would say to people make people earn your vote right and but don't let them not take your vote away to where you're not voting right just you have to vote for your own self, for your own community, for your own family. It might, so for me, it's, it's accountability and responsibility of people that are put in office. Even if you didn't vote for that person, guess what? You get to still hold them accountable if they're representing you. So for, it's about also learning as a community about accountability and how to hold elected officials accountable versus just like, you know, being so proud that they voted for that person and get, donated to that campaign. Um, we, you know, as a community, sometimes it's like not trying to upset, like the person in power for whatever reason. And it's, that needs to end. Like, you know, I worked for care Florida and it was like, even on a local level, they're like, oh, that's just upsetting. You know, this elected official. I'm like, no, it's called agitation because, Mm. you know, and at the end that person ended up moving in our favor but because it's about this process and what accountability looks like versus you know not because what we think to do just like our massage when it comes to law enforcement is having these great relationships with them allowing them into our massage but really there's no accountability when it comes like so for me 
I've seen where when you hold them accountable, there you have to have a relationship with elected officials that they respect you enough. And when they see you coming, they probably want to go the other way. But there's still a communication level, like, you know, what I'm saying not to the point where like, they're so nice and kind to you because they know that you're never going to hold them accountable. And I think that's something I experience with our community a lot of times is not understanding how the how accountability is part of this this part of the electoral process. It doesn't just and it's not just uh, no no that's no that's important and I think it's an important lesson. Thank you for uh, for a lot of our younger voters as well. You know, uh, people are just you know maybe voting for the first time in this election, or people are are deeply skeptical or trying to get their feet wet into it. You know, it's like any relationship you have. You, mm -hmm. you know, you have to set your boundaries. You have to communicate very clearly and you don't give up on a relationship, right? And so you have to sort of, you know, you have to sort of engage constantly. You're getting a lot of uh, plus ones in the, uh, in the comments. And I just want to sort of echo what some of these folks are saying. Corrine, uh, uh, Lena, I believe was, an, was another one. But basically the movement, you know, they're echoing what you're saying, which is, the movement has to continue regardless. And so I, I just really think that that's a powerful message. And so I want to thank you for uh, not just saying it, um, unlike me who gets to say it and sort of sit back and read some books and write a little bit, you know, you actually have to put the work in, and you know, grassroots organizers like yourselves, you know, you guys are actually out there, you know, stomping all the time, you know? And so I just really appreciate you, Russia. Um, I appreciate, believe me, you help us like when we're like in these spaces, like, understanding a lot of the research behind it like even understanding how islamophobia is impacting our communities and being able to educate um these elected officials i i would say as a palestinian muslim woman of color it's not easy the democrats yeah i would say a lot of the establishment doesn't like me right so but like guess what i'm not going anywhere <laughs> so it's kind of like there to be like you know where the establishment is just kind of like oh you know I've had the right wing call on me to like, for the Democrats to like unseat me from the young Democrats or to unseat mm -hmm. the mayor's advisory board and just like, and I'm kind of just like, but that's, it. that's what it takes. Yeah. But I'm still going to hold all these people that I'm with in this room accountable. So it's just kind of like so many different layers to it. Right. No, no. Alhamdulillah. Well, thank you again for your work. I appreciate you. And um, it's going to be an exciting next two months. You know, let's see how this Let's see how this thing uh, plays it's out across the country. An interesting word. <laughs> but yeah, it's going to be a, it's yeah, gonna be hard I don't... on us. It's hard. It, you, you, the work you're doing is hard. The work that people are doing, just trying to understand this process um, is hard. And I think voting this election is going to be hard for so many of us. So yeah. Yeah, well, uh, everybody watching, you know, let your folks know, you know, let your folks know that if Malcolm X... If Malcolm X can vote and Rashid Mubarak can vote and Linda Sarsour <laughs> can vote, then so then so can you. You know what I mean? So, um, so alhamdulillah, you know, we put our work in. Thank you again, Russia. It's great chatting with you this morning. I hope you you enjoyed your coffee. I did. I know uh, Rada. She might still be on the line. She's been clowning my coffee this whole time because she's been Yo, drinking I it. She's she just been she, clowning my. She's always clowning my coffee because she grew up. You don't drink the Starbucks burnt stuff. So, you know, she's not, you know, <laughs> seriously. Well, I, I should, I should take that back. I'm not for sure that she actually drinks Starbucks. So that, that could be it. Uh, I might catch a defamation. I might catch a, I might catch a defamation case now. Here we go. Yeah. Look.
Yalla. <laughs> Yalla, it's great talking to you. We'll talk to you again real soon, Sean. Take care. Bye. Allah Bye. 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 Bye.